a matter of life and death. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Fourth Sunday of Easter, April 25th, 2021, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. As sheep, the choice of which voice we listen to is a matter of life or death. Ezekiel warned the wayward shepherds of Israel that their selfishness was costing the lives of the sheep. The shepherd psalmist writes about having to trust God to survive in the wilderness. Jesus, then, in the midst of the pandemic of sin and death, offers the sheep eternal life, that is, the opportunity to truly know the living God in divine fellowship. Before Rev. David Pelegi gives a sermon, let us listen to the readings from God's Word. The first reading is from Ezekiel 34, 1 to 16, and then 23 to 24. The Lord will be Israel's shepherd. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for for themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock where he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. I'll be reading from Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides, my, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel portion today is from John 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's um, <clears throat> again open with prayer. Lord, we pray that um, as we consider your word, we pray that uh, we may have the full realization and better understand what it means to have life in the sun and to move from death to life. In Jesus' name. My dear... I want to say dearly beloved or something, but there was someone not at a funeral. Um, so I noted before that um, in many uh, traditional Christian churches, uh, Christian denominations, movements, the fourth Sunday in the season of Easter is the Sunday set aside for the Good Shepherd and a passage from John 10, uh, is always read, oh, a different passage over the, the three-year cycle, and uh, Psalm 23 comes uh, into the readings as well. Uh, the Good Shepherd and the 23rd Psalm, of course, are um, both very, very popular um, metaphors um, or portions of scripture, I should say. And um, they're beautiful <coughs> and they're comforting. And uh, many uh, believers over uh, the centuries right, have taken encouragement and comfort to know that the Lord is our shepherd and uh, there is even, a, you might say, a fuller revelation of such in John chapter 10 when we read that uh, when Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. And as beautiful as that may seem, it has also become uh, cheapened and it's also become sensationalized. 
or you might say, I should say, sentimentalized. And uh, in the sentimentalization, uh, we, I think, have some distortion. My, and in the distortion, I think we lose what's really critical. Because in all of these passages, it's a matter of life and death. And that life and death, that choice that we have before us of life and death, again, gets lost in, for example, beautiful stained glass windows. I don't want to be critical of churches with stained glass windows because we have two. Actually, we have more than two. And people, again, people have taken inspiration over the centuries from this form of art. But at the same time, yes, when we consider that many churches have pictures, stylized pictures of the Good Shepherd, I don't know if you ever noticed they're very beautiful green hills in the background, lots of flowing water. Jesus has a nice, white, clean, fat little lambkin over his shoulders. And it looks like he came right out of the dry cleaners. <clears throat> yes. His hair is perfect, of course. His makeup is really well done. And there's not a spot of dirt on that clean white robe. Wonderful, stylized art. And yet, at the same time, it distorts reality, right? Because the life of a shepherd, again, was a life of danger and risk and hard work. And sheep, while they may apparently be stupid, that's what all the cliches say, um, they're not necessarily easy. And so how do we see, or where do we see this life and death uh, struggle, you might say, being played out? Well, let's just look at our first two, first two passages from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. We'll start with Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a critique, the prophet uh, speaks God's critique against uh, the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, very similar to what Jeremiah does. But the Ezekiel passage, I think, is, uh, is certainly more detailed and teaches us more than what we, read, what we read in Jeremiah. So the word of the Lord comes to um, Ezekiel, and uh, Ezekiel is to prophesy He's to warn uh, the shepherds of Israel. And uh, this is what he says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourself. Should you not take care of the flock, you eat the curds and clothe yourself uh, with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you have not taken care of the flock. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what... And here, here we have a beautiful definition of what these shepherds should be doing. And it says as follows, although it's in the negative, you have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, right? Or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered meaning I guess they didn't go to their church anymore. They went to an, um, so they were scattered, and they became food for all the wild animals. Right? Because these shepherds don't do their job. They're in it for the wrong reason and the wrong motive. For some, maybe... Um, something to do with their ego, uh, ego to hold uh, a, a, a religious office, or whether it's the uh, financial or material benefits that they can gain uh, 
from serving in the temple, it leads to death. And in the passage, God says, I have to come down and rescue my people. I have to be the one who shepherds them. I have to be the one who searches for them and looks for them. And the mention of being uh, consumed or devoured by wild animals doesn't happen once in this passage, but it happens and it's mentioned on another two occasions. And finally, the end of all this, and I think this is, I think this is important, and I believe it's, we, it's something that's evident in all three passages, yes, that God's care and God's shepherding for the flock, as beautiful and as encouraging as, that, as it may be, is not exactly an end in itself. Okay? The end is we read at the um, we read at the verse thirty one or actually at the end of the chapter. The end goal is that after God does these beautiful things for them, after God restores His people to their land, uh, protects them, uh, feeds them, cares for them, and then it says, "Then they will know that I am the Lord their God." And that I am with them, and that they are my people, declares the Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. All of this is to do what? It's to lead to the knowledge of God. Not again, and uh, the Hebrew, the word knowledge is not an intellectual knowing. It's not having uh, memorized a lot of doctrine about God, but it's coming into an intimate relationship with God. And then we have Psalm 23, which is, again, if understood in its proper context, it's also about life and death. But unfortunately, uh, more often than not, um, there's a distortion. We're not going to be too hard on all of these distortions because they happen all, all the time and in every culture. But when it comes to distorting, right, our understanding of the scripture, uh, it certainly can be uh, dangerous. And so, in, um, uh, in Psalm 23, we have, uh, as I said, life and death. Uh, and this life and death takes place in the Judean wilderness. Because the psalm is about the Midbar, or the wilderness. And uh, the, the description fits perfectly, not just any wilderness, but uh, the wilderness around Jerusalem. Now, this, again, this is minimized when we have pictures in our Bible, or we have um, plaques on the wall, or bookmarks, you know, uh, in a book, which says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, oftentimes you have a bunch of, again, clean, fluffy, white sheep munching grass on a Welsh hillside where it rains all the time, right? And there's no... By the way, whether you're Wales or New Zealand, there's no danger of wild animals. And of course, that's a distortion. Because the psalmist is saying that without the Lord being my shepherd, I'm in big trouble. Right? I'm in big trouble because, first of all, I'm in a place of scarcity. I'm in a place where there's not a lot of resources and there's not a lot of abundance. And the psalmist can say because of his faith and uh, experiences with God, the psalmist can say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, sometimes we say that, but we say it 
in a land full of shopping malls. And we say it in a land full of uh, Asda and Walmarts. And uh, some of us can even say it in a country where Amazon delivers by drone. Or if you order your groceries from Whole Foods, yes, you can have them delivered in two hours. And so to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that kind of context, it's one thing. But to go out into the middle of the Judean desert and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because he's showing me where to go. Because it's very easy, even for those uh, Bedouin, for example, or those who, who lived in the desert all their lives, it's easy to get lost. He leads me beside still waters because it's easy to be caught up in, in uh, flood waters uh, and to perish. He provides green grass, yes, for, for the herd. And finally, he comforts me. He assures me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So most likely, it's a reference to um, walking in the canyons of the Judean desert uh, when the, the sun begins to set and all of the wild animals come out. Yes, wild animals that uh, would be dangerous, uh, such as leopards and more. And so in all those circumstances, yes, our shepherd needs a shepherd, yes, in order to live and in order to survive. I think um, also there's another maybe footnote to this, and that is in the scripture, some of the verses say, he leads me for his namesake, and others say he leads me in paths of righteousness, that, or, which could be understood that he leads, us, leads me in path of faithfulness. Now, why in the midst of scarcity are you concerned about righteousness? Because the minute the economy goes bad and there's no money, or there's an epidemic, or there's a war, then the human tendency is well, God, I'm not sure I can trust you. I'm not sure I can rely upon you. I think I have to steal this, yes, in order to survive. Or I think I have to shortchange somebody. Or I think that, uh, you know, I may have to engage in some form of violence because I'm not really sure that you can help me or you will help me in these circumstances. And so when there is scarcity... And it could just be something that happens to us personally. Then there's the temptation and the tendency not to be faithful. And so it is a question of life and death. And so if Ezekiel, we have bad shepherds who lead to death. In Psalm 23, if we didn't have God as our shepherd. How would we survive such right, such circumstances, or even flourish in such circumstances. And by the way, the, again, the psalm, God's provision and God's care isn't an end in itself, because the psalm ends by saying, anyone remember how the psalm ends? Where, where is the shepherd going to dwell all the days of his life? In the house of the Lord, right? The goal, right, the end is to be in the presence of God, right? And then finally, we have our last passage, and uh, this is the Good Shepherd, um, or the model, the uh, the model shepherd. And um, here we have uh, the context is. Um, is as follows. Jesus has healed a blind man. And this blind man is uh, being, you might say, questioned uh, or even troubled 
by a few of the religious authorities. And this is the context of the statement, I am the good shepherd, and the teaching that follows. And in the passage, we have, uh, of course, we have the uh, hired hands. We have those who come to steal. We have the sheep, of course, and we have the good shepherd. And without the context, these are beautiful, beautiful abstract ideas. And we miss, again, this stark choice, again, between life and death. And so the shepherd, Jesus claims to be, he starts off by saying the following. And I'm going to read from the beginning of John 10. Uh, he talks, out, he talks uh, about uh, the Pharisees. Uh, they don't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but they climb in by some other way. And he calls them thieves and robbers. Then there's one, um, the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his sheep by name. All right, so here we have a, a, a beautiful, um, you might say, job description of, of Jesus being a shepherd. At first and foremost, he's intimate, or he knows the sheep and that he can call each one of them by name. He knows them as individuals. And then, yes, um, these sheep follow him because of his voice, and we'll come back to that. And they will not follow a stranger. And then he goes on to say that uh, being, uh, being the sheep pen, yes, that he protects them uh, from those who come to steal. Further, he's not like the hired help because he's faithful and is prepared to give his life for the sheep and he leads them to pasture. Now, all of this is um, uh, what a shepherd does. And we might say, wonderful. But then we have 1010. And 1010... Uh, is a verse that I think we could spend a whole lifetime meditating on. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And here he's talking about um, false teachers or, or bandits. Uh, and again, we'll come back to that in a moment. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And again, the choice is between death, right, and life. And what is this life? And how is it that Jesus, how is it that he can give us such life? And a lot of times we read these verses and we're not quite sure what it means. Or the, this verse stays in the abstract. It's very beautiful, and it sounds good. And uh, as I've said before, I can say again, you know, these words like this go in this year. They drop down to our heart, metaphorically speaking. They make us feel warm and good. And then they go out the other year. How's that impacted us? What's changed? You know, how is it that it? Uh, how is it that these words transform our life? And actually, the Bible's full of these so-called beautiful phrases, and we're not quite sure we understand them. Seek the Lord while He may be found. You know, follow Him, walk in His ways. You hear this from the pulpit, or read it, and we read it in our Bible. Uh, you know, our, our daily devotion. The question is, how does it move from the abstract into something that's real and concrete? Well, first of all, we have to define life. Even before we can answer the question, how is it that Jesus can, can give life? Yes. And what makes him different from all the other shepherds? 
Because all the other shepherds are basically doing the same thing. Well, they weren't in Ezekiel 34, but uh, in Psalm 23 or any, any decent shepherd would protect the sheep. And the sheep would know the, the voice of the shepherd. And he would lead the sheep. Yes, and have a, a loyalty or a faithfulness. But Jesus does it, goes one step further and says, I've come that they may have, I've come that you may have life. And the life that Jesus is talking about here is not biological life, as important as that may be. But life if, is understood in the context of John's gospel, right? You want to understand John's gospel, we need to use John's gospel to interpret John's gospel, or at least use the, the epistles of John to help us. But life in John's gospel is eternal life. Yes, and eternal life meets the most foundational and the most basic Yes, of all human needs, right? Because all of us as human beings, we have a sickness. We're all diseased. And that disease is called death. And the vaccine, I use that word on purpose, the vaccine for this sickness or for this epidemic, no, it's a pandemic, is eternal life is eternal life that's offered as a gift by Jesus himself. Sometimes it's offered by God, sometimes it's offered by Jesus. Yes, there seems to be uh, no distinction. And eternal life is indeed life after death. And as we've mentioned before here at Christ Church, this part, the, the church and especially the evangelical world, we've done pretty well, yes, at preaching and, um, or asking the question, asking people the question, where will you spend eternity? Very legitimate question. But you see, eternal life is not only life after death, but as we understand from John's gospel, it is life before death. John five twenty four. Anyone who believes in me, Jesus says, passes, right, from death to life. It's not something that happens at the last judgment. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they understand eternal life as something that will happen to us after we're judged. But John wants us to know that, that this is not only something in the future, but it's something that it is indeed a present reality. John 17, 3, says, Jesus says, this is eternal life, right? To know me, to be intimate with me, and to be intimate with the Father. And if you read through John, yes, especially the, the uh, you might say, the talk that Jesus gives on the eve of his death, one thing that becomes one thing come, becomes very clear that what's on offer is divine life and the divine life starts now as i said it continues after we die in fact talk to any person in the western world and ask them where they're going to spend eternity and i can guarantee you that most people won't be interested it's not as if it there was a hundred years ago where people would think very seriously uh, about uh, their soul or what happens to them after they die. Unfortunately, it's not in the culture. However, if you ask people if they want to have life before death, some ears might perk up. And some people will be open to hearing the gospel or he hearing this message of life. And so divine life is the life that the Father shares with the Son. And we're invited 
by the Holy Spirit into that relationship. The life that the Father shares with the Son. In fact, when Jesus says, follow me in this gospel, it's not simply that we're following him. We're following him and imitating and modeling ourselves on that relationship that he has with the Father, which is what? Primarily a relationship of love, which is why the emphasis in John's gospel over and over and over again is is about love and loving those, not only loving God, but loving those in the community. And how how do you get this eternal life? Well, I might get letters Uh, you know, or questions about this. But this eternal life comes through believing. Yes, it's not exactly faith, although it's connected. It comes when we trust in. It comes when we rely upon. It comes when we abide or when we connect and stay connected. It also comes when we follow and we're obedient. And it might seem contradictory, but John's gospel doesn't know this division between faith and works. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever actively believes in him, whoever actively believes in him, who trusts in him, who abides and stays connected, who depends and relies upon him, you will have eternal life. That's divine life. That's communion with the Father and the Son. But here in 1027, it says, my Father has given them to me and is greater than all. No one can snatch them. Nope, that's not what I want to read. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, right? That eternal life is connected to following because eternal life is more than just, quote unquote, being saved and knowing where you go when you die. Eternal life is, again, entering into fellowship with the Father and the Son. And how is it that Jesus can give eternal life What makes this shepherd different than the other shepherds? By the way, there are many references to shepherds uh, in the Hebrew Bible. Some were kings um, and uh, others. Uh, There are other examples. What makes him different is is what we read in our passage. I am the good shepherd, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only in order to take it up again. It's kind of a hard passage to deal with. But no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And and all the New Testament, it's either God or the Holy Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead. Here, Jesus says, I do, you know, I'm raising myself. If that's actually true, we should believe it. It's in the scripture. Yes. If that perspective, in addition to the work that God does or the work that the spirit does, that Jesus himself has that authority, then what does it mean? What What would be the implications of that? Who is Jesus? Who's a person who can say, kill me, and then I'm going to raise myself up again? That's how, the, that's, how, that's how it is that the Son can give life or can give eternal life. Yes? Now, all of that, I hope, is comforting to us, but here's the challenge The challenge is that all of this is activated when we hear his voice, right? It's it's a beautiful reality when we hear, when we listen, 
All the comforts and all the benefits are contingent upon us hearing the voice. Right? And it's when we make that decision to discern or make that decision to listen, right? When we hear that voice and we begin to follow, that's when, yes, the shepherd is the good shepherd with all those blessings and benefits, yes, which, again, are not an end in themselves. Yes, what the Lord does for us, his care, his provision, his goodness, all of this leads to, right, a deeper knowledge and an intimate relationship with him. And in John 10, it leads to eternal life, communion with him and the Father. Right? We sell the gospel short and we cheat ourselves when we think of God as, you know, some big uh, ATM machine who only wants to supply our needs. And he does want to supply our needs. But there's much more to it than that. And so when we know someone's voice, we know the person. Is it not true? Is it, I think that uh, the voice of another person to know the voice, to know their inflections, to know the tone behind the voice. To know the voice is to actually know the person. And if we don't know that voice, can we really say we know the, we know the person in question? And so a lot of people will say to me, but I read the Bible. And as essential as that is, just reading the Bible doesn't always mean that we hear the voice of the Lord. We should hear Jesus call each one of us by name. He knows us as individuals, right? We should hear that call. And of course, the call will never contradict what's written in Scripture. So there's, you get some revelation that contradicts the word of God, then you can be sure it's uh, the voice you're hearing is not the right voice. But of course it takes, I think it takes an effort because Proverbs say, incline your ear. Yes, listen diligently. Because at the same time, there's lots of other voices speaking. And here Jesus again talks about discernment. He says, my sheep know my voice and they're not listening to other voices. I mean, we could listen to other voices and find ourselves not being shepherded by Jesus or not being in the flock. And by the way, the other voices are, there are millions of voices speaking to us all day long. These could be the voices of our culture. And sometimes it's very subtle how we fail to discern what our culture is telling us. Yes, and how uh, it is, not, it is uh, opposed you know, to, to the voice of Jesus. Or it could be something broken within us, right? Our trauma, our anxiety, our fear, our inability to trust God or to have faith, right? To believe actually that the Lord is my shepherd. Or that Jesus is the good shepherd. You know, it's funny, people, people say to me, oh, but I'm a conservative, and I'm orthodox, and I don't go along with all this worldly stuff. And it's those people that I worry about the most. Because you can be conservative and orthodox or an evangelical Christian and believe all the right things and still be selfish and self-centered or still be lawless, or still uh, take advantage of the grace of God, or abuse the grace of God. There are lots of voices speaking to us, and our challenge is to discern those voices. And Jesus said that um, there are thieves that come 
he said that there are bandits. Um, and it's interesting, the word bandit was used. Um, the word bandit was used to be uh, in the time, in his day of messianic pretenders. Those who came along and said, I'm the Messiah. And if you just follow me, I'm going to solve all your problems. And if you just follow me, I'm going to fix everything that's wrong with society. And the end is going to come. And uh, we live in a day where many people are frustrated and they're confused. And uh, they're worried about their future. And rightly so. Because of the, the moral, you might say, collapse in Western countries. But the temptation will be to latch on to someone who comes along and says, I have a silver bullet. Yes, we can fix this. Um, I've got the polit right political program for us. I have the right, uh, I know the, the, the right thing to do. And uh, I can clean up this mess in just a short period of time. And oftentimes that person is someone who's charismatic. But that person is a thief. Yes, that person is a, it comes, only will come to, um, to, uh, to destroy and to steal. Because that person, you almost in every case, yes, is not doing it the way that Jesus commands us. Not following Jesus or imitating him. And so we can be very susceptible as, a, as the believing community uh, in our frustrations to this kind of thing. So it requires us to hear the voice. Now, and finally, just uh, there's another challenge in all of this. And I just mentioned it briefly. Notice that uh, Jesus talks about the flock. And he, and he says there's one flock and one shepherd. And so all of this is not only individual. Yes, Jesus calls each of us by name, but he also, right, expects us to be a part of his community or to be a part of his family. And so just so that we don't get too proud and so that we don't get too self-confident, what does Jesus tell us? He tells us, you know, I have, I have other sheep and you don't know about them. And I think that uh, the challenge there is that it uh, demands that we're humble. Yes. And that when we meet other Christians who don't necessarily agree with us about Israel or Palestine, or we meet other Christians who don't uh, have our political views, who don't... Uh, necessarily go along with our understanding of gun control or our understanding of uh, how to spend government money or uh, the way they serve communion, which is not the way we serve communion. Anyone who calls Jesus Lord and doesn't condone sin they're in the flock. We may not like what they believe, or we may find it difficult, but at the same time, the way that we relate to others and the way that we re relate to others in our community, yes, will determine whether we're in fellowship or communion with the Lord himself. And that's what, by the way, is why 1 John was written. 1 John was written to warn us, right, of such following things. I'll just read you one passage. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light, right? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a, br a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But one who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. 
right? Jesus said to follow me. And to follow Jesus, the way that is expressed practically, is in the way that we relate to each other. And that's what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. Right? He cares not only for us as individuals, but cares for the flock and the relationship that we have with each other. And it's in that, in those relationships where the, uh, the love of God, or the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father, that's where we manifest that to the world and give, bring glory to this good shepherd. Father in heaven, we are comforted with these words to know that you care for us, that you save us from death, that you bring us into life, but you bring us into something more than than biological life. You bring us into eternal life. And we pray that uh, this life will indeed be uh, something real and concrete and something that's ever-present before us, so that uh, each day we can live in a deeper communion with you and a deeper communion with the Father. And we can manifest, yes, that relationship in the way that we love our brothers and even in the way that we love the world. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.